0: This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology.
1: Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized Cyber Asset Attack Surface Management, chasm, as a category in their Hype Cycle for Network Security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Axonius and give your team's time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. Welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast, almost called the Layer 8 podcast because our aim is to explore the human element of cybersecurity. But who's building the human element of cybersecurity or even technology? We learned that the term for this is cybersecurity advocates. Cybersecurity advocates are those that are helping support the practitioners and the humans behind the cybersecurity technology. We had flirted with this idea of being cybersecurity advocates, but it wasn't until we spoke to Julie Haney to where we really got to understand what all goes into making a cybersecurity advocate and the research behind it. I believe everyone listening to this episode is probably already a cybersecurity advocate And this episode really highlights how to become one more. Let's jump right into it.
2: What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris.
1: Yes, sir.
2: Welcome back. To the show.
1: Glad to be back again. And we're going to be diving into a topic near and dear to our hearts. And to have this conversation, we've brought in Julie Haney. Julie is a computer scientist and the lead for the usable cybersecurity program at NIST. And we're both excited to have Julie on and to have this conversation because she's behind a lot of research. And one of our favorite topics the human element of cybersecurity. Julie, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much. I'm really excited to talk with you guys today.
2: Julie, whether you know it or not, you brought so much clarity to my career, what I'm doing on a (laughs) daily basis. It's unbelievable. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today.
0: Sure. As you mentioned, I work for NIST, which stands for the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and it's a government agency under the U.S. Department of Commerce. And I do usable cybersecurity research, which is all about that human element of security. Um, So ranging from the usability of security technologies to understanding people's interactions with technology, their perceptions of security, what challenges that they encounter. And so I've been at NIST about three and a half years, but I've been working for the government for uh, about 25 years, uh, much longer than that. Um, And like a lot of security people, I got my start in computer science. Back then, they didn't teach security in, in college. And I went to work for the government right after, and that's really where I learned about security on the job. Um, and I started off doing vulnerability assessments. So we would go to different organizations, they would invite us there, and we'd try to find all the security problems that we could, and then we'd provide recommendations to the organization on how they could mitigate those problems. I also spent a lot of time writing security guidance, and in general, really just focused on trying to convince organizations to implement various security mitigations and best practices, honestly, with mixed success a lot of times. Um, And Mm. I learned very early on that it wasn't always a technology problem about why organizations weren't adopting these security mitigations. You could have very sound technical solutions But there were other things that got in the way, like organizational factors and economic factors and human factors. So I became very interested in learning more about the human side of security. So I went back to graduate school a few years ago to study human-centered computing. And I focused my research, again, on that human element of security. And then I get to do that now full-time. I'm working at NIST and I love it. It's just a it's like a second career, kind of a <laughs> twist on what I did for 20 years, just looking at things from a different angle.
2: This is very similar to Ron and I's story. We spent about 15 years as practitioners, and then we started a podcast, and that podcast grew into a media company. And now we have an an entire network of podcasts focused on the human element of cybersecurity. And we did so well that we have a day job as well with a company called Exonius, and they brought us over to full-time do content. So we do content all day, all night supporting the leaders and the practitioners with the knowledge that they need to know to do their best work. And this is everything from productivity, to leadership, to empathy, the different soft skills. And so we were talking with the PR team at Exonius. And they were like, hey, it's great that you guys are creative directors, but you just wrote a very technical uh, thought leadership piece. And we're putting it out and we can't put creative director on it. And I'm like, well, what do you want to call me? You can call me whatever you want. And they were like, oh, well, we we have these things called uh, developer advocates, but maybe you could be a cybersecurity advocate. And I'm like, wow, that's a, an interesting term. <laughs> Let me do some research and see if anyone has talked about this before. And that's how I stumbled on your research. And I said, this is it. This is what Ron and I have been doing for the last three years, and we never put a name to it. So how did you decide to go down this research route for cybersecurity advocacy?
0: I I think that I was drawn to it because I felt like that's what I had done for so many years. Yeah, there was the technical piece of it. But there was a lot of, again, trying to persuade those organizations to adopt these practices. So I really wanted to do something that helped security professionals to do that job better. Like you, I I Googled, you know, what are the terms that people used to describe this type of role that they had? And... I saw things like security evangelists, and I did see security advocate. And so that was really the, the role that I focused my research on. And these are people who, um, as part of their jobs, they are out there promoting, educating about, and trying to facilitate security adoption. Um, it might be kind of a full-time job for them, as it sounds like it is for for you all, Um, but it might be a part-time role um, where it's something that they have to do occasionally to really help them be successful in their kind of full-time duties as well. I really like looking at the problem from the perspective of security professionals. What are their work practices? What are the skills that they need to be successful? Um, And what kind of challenges do they face and how can we help them?
1: You know, it wasn't until I started to read a lot of books that I started to understand it's not necessarily about what you know all the time. Like we can go through life and take all of the certifications, get many degrees, but that might still not enable us to do our best work. Some of our best work is done when we are in a state of comfort or relaxation or even control within our work environment and the information put in front of us. I started to think there must be more to this. M- maybe if I were to work out, I'm going to have a stronger capacity to, to concentrate. Maybe if I meditate, I'll be more relaxed when I'm learning something new and going down this rabbit hole of information and technology. What have you learned in your research that goes beyond just the bits and bytes that practitioners should start looking at when it comes to bringing their best work to the table?
2: So
0: one of the things that that I found was that advocates, they were very service-oriented. They really had a passion for doing security work, which was largely centered around helping people, helping organizations. And I think, you know, for me, that has been the most fulfilling part of my career. And so I think that can kind of really drive people and, and and kind of bring this sense of purpose to people as well. Also being a little kinder, more empathetic to people. Mm-hmm. Security professionals tend to sometimes, you know, have this kind of mentality that, well, users are stupid, they're the weakest link. Right. We're the experts. They should just do what we tell them to do, why are they making all these mistakes? And I think we need to take a step back and realize we're all human. Mm -hmm. We're all, we all make mistakes. Most people are not security experts. Um, So instead of laying blame, we need to kind of look at root causes. Why are people not doing these things that we want them to do? And how can we empower them? So I, I love the term empower because it's more about treating people as active, capable partners in security rather than as obstructionists.
2: See, I knew I was excited about this conversation because this is really the beginnings of what we had as the podcast. I think it was episode two and we talked about layer eight. And we wanted to change the perception of what layer eight really means. For everybody that doesn't really know what I'm talking about, we're talking about the OSI model, layers one through seven. And there was a long running joke that, oh, if there's a layer eight issue, it's the individual that's making the mistake. And quite often it's used as to say, oh, this person was stupid or made a mistake or did something that they weren't supposed to do. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to turn it on its head and say, why don't we patch layer eight? Why don't we just empower people like you're talking about, make them better, give them the information that they need to be able to make those right decisions. So instead of, you know, throwing shame around, we help each other. We lift each other up. What was one of the more surprising things that you figured out as you were going through this research uh, with these advocates?
0: So I think the most surprising thing was how many of them came from fields outside of cybersecurity and computer science and IT quite a few of them just you know they had they didn't have degrees in those type of disciplines they had worked for years as communications people or mark they had worked in marketing or there were quite a few lawyers and what they brought into the cybersecurity field was all of these kind of non-technical skills and strengths that they had honed in these other fields, and they picked up on the technology. Maybe they, they're they not as deeply technical as, as people that have kind of grown up in that, but they picked up on it enough, and they brought these unique skill sets that tend to really be lacking among a lot of security people. So I think that's what I was most surprised about is just the the diversity of disciplines represented among security professionals today.
1: So I gotta ask, we've asked so many people on the podcast what is their superpower? I would love to learn a little bit more about you and how you would describe your superpower. With this research, and even being a cybersecurity advocate, and and what are some of the characteristics of great advocates that you've seen just by way of doing this research?
0: Oh, my superpower!
1: <laughs>
0: you know, I'm a total like Marvel geek too.
2: Oh, you shouldn't have said that. Yeah, don't I love don't even.
0: Oh, don't don't get don't get me started. Yeah, my my daughters will be embarrassed if they listen to this. <laughs> So my superpower, I think I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. And so I tend to be an observer of people. I tend to like observe a lot before I talk and I listen a lot. And I think, you know, the listening, the having the empathy has really been kind of a driving force in my life and my career. And that's why, as I said, I was so attracted to cybersecurity for kind of that service oriented piece to it. Um, and that's what I found in a lot of people that take on this advocate role is that they tend to be empathetic. right. They're good listeners. they they have these interpersonal skills. they focus on building relationships with people. even if that's kind of from afar sometimes. a lot of it can just be, taking the effort to understand kind of the context of their target audience, like who are their clients, who are the people they're trying to communicate to, what are the constraints that they face, what are their skill levels, what do they care about, and how can we appeal to those, how can we help them best? So I think that context awareness was a big thing, the interpersonal skills, the communication skills. Just being able to translate this very highly technical language that we use in cybersecurity into a language that's understandable to other people and the language that's meaningful to them without talking down to them, but still be able to communicate again the why. Why are we asking you to do this? How does this relate to your daily life or your daily work? And then be able to provide these actionable things that you can do. Don't overwhelm you. Don't ask people to do things that are beyond their capabilities. But again, it's just about kind of framing the communications and the guidance for those particular people. So I think those are really like the big kind of characteristics that we saw among these advocates.
1: The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix, analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix, by visiting upticks.com. That's U P T Y C S.com. Thank you, Uptics, for sponsoring this episode.
2: I love that superpower so much, and it makes me think about my own. And I I think I really have two superpowers that I tend to lean on more often than any of the others. One of those superpowers is taking something that is a vision and bringing it to life, whether it's through bringing a team together or just figuring out the steps of how something could be brought to life. And the other thing is really my ability to self-assess. What am I missing? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Like you, I I would say I'm right on the line 50-50 of extrovert and introvert. I've spent the majority of my time as an introvert, observing people, understanding people. And I would take those learnings and apply it to myself. Like, how can I be better? How can I be a better person? And really one of the most crucial things in the world for humanity is that empathy piece. I feel like just through empathy, through being a father, through being a husband, through being a leader, being an advocate, Empathy is one of the most missing pieces. When I I think of today, I think of society, I think of this world of digital interactions because you see that there's like some of the empathy is lost when people are on things like Twitter. People find it easier to throw insults at people that they don't know because there is no empathy. They don't understand that there is a, a real person on the other side of that message. What has been the biggest Instance in your life where you found empathy show up and it paid dividends in that interaction.
0: Wow. That's a big picture question. (laughs) Gosh, again, it kind of goes back to, and I'll give the analogy in the, in the security world, but I mean, this absolutely applies in day-to-day personal life as well. Kind of getting over the us versus them type of mentality. Mm -hmm. So you know we we tend to to kind of put people in in buckets, and they tend to be these kind of adversarial relationships and security again, it's kind of like the users versus us, the security professionals and I think just taking a moment to try to put yourself in someone else's shoes and sometimes that's difficult, but we've got to try we need to kind of reach across and just talk to people and listen to what what are their challenges instead of saying oh gosh they're just you know maliciously not doing this or they're stupid and they're not doing and that's why they're not doing this to really take the time to understand what's going on with them that is influencing their behaviors and sometimes you know we can't necessarily relate to it we haven't been to it but at least we start to get this understanding of where people are coming from you know i think most people have good intentions. They're just trying to do the best that they can. And so trying to again empathize with people, it doesn't mean we understand everything, but we're making at least the effort. And I think that's like often lacking in the in the security world and and like you said in in life in general.
1: I couldn't agree more. And it actually makes me think of my superpower which is being a solutions excavator. I love finding new information, researching it, studying it, and then trying to teach it or gift it to other people. I think empathy is part of providing that gift of knowledge or wisdom or opportunity to other people. And one of my leadership coaches, they actually gave me an acronym for figuring out ways to tap into that empathetic process. Like how can I be a leader and bestow information and wisdom to others. The B was for be autonomous. The E is for helping others exceed expectations. The S is for set accountability. The T is for take a future-based approach, kind of starting with the end in mind. The O is for ongoing planning. And the W is will for incrementally improve. And I think that's a great way for me to encapsulate the process of bestowing knowledge and wisdom Amongst others, what are some of your processes when it comes to tapping into that superpower of listening and observing? What are some of the things and elements that you kind of notice about yourself when you're reaching and helping others the most?
0: Yeah, well, that that's a great acronym, by the way.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not mine; my coach made it. So. Yeah, <laughs>
2: you're so brilliant, Ron.
0: <laughs> I think for me, and 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 I and I have found I think this is why. I have discovered that I love doing research so much because I do a lot of what we call qualitative research. So things like interviewing people or doing focus groups or kind of observing people during different events or or doing different things. I think for me, it's just not talking as much and listening a lot more, just Even as a researcher, when you're framing questions, you don't want those questions to be leading. You don't want those questions to make people feel like, oh, I have to answer this way or else, you know, I'm going to look bad. So just kind of very open-ended things, making people feel like their opinions matter, that their experiences matter, that they're being heard, that this is an opportunity for them to kind of voice their experiences to help others. I think that's kind of how I, I approach things. And then just, you know, again, you know, following up on things as people are talking, showing interest in what they have to say. I think that's very important.
2: I have to be completely honest with you. Being an advocate full-time is difficult yeah. because you're talking to technologists and practitioners that live in the bits and bytes all day. But when you're a full-time advocate, you're a full-time content creator, you're no longer living that life. And so sometimes there could be a separation like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to listen to this person because they're not in the trenches anymore. They, they mm-hmm. Their information is old, but I still feel like there's a lot of information that we carry that's useful for other folks. So for people that are wanting to become cybersecurity advocates, and they feel like they can scale their impact in their community. I think there needs to be a bit of a normalization in, of this term of the, the people that are in it, because you see that the people that are highly technical, sometimes they can be a little dismissive of the folks in cybersecurity that aren't as technical. Have you dealt with any of that uh, dynamic in this research?
0: Yeah, definitely. When asking people, you know, what are kind of the skills that you need? There was a big division kind of between like the amount of technical skills that you need. And so the the folks that are advocating to other technical people. So, for example, if you're a secure development champion and you're working with developers, you have to have the technical creds, like you said, for them to, to listen to you. You have to have that credibility because a lot of that is part of knowing that that person understands your experiences. And so what they're saying is is taking into account that context of being a developer, for example. But there are other people who are maybe reaching out to an audience that's not as technical. So if I'm a security awareness professional, for example... I have to know, you know, enough about security so that I can provide accurate information, but I can rely on other people for that. I can engage with my security team for some of that. And it's more going to be focused on how can I communicate that information in an engaging way Um, so I don't have to be as deeply technical. As long as I'm more technical and more understanding than my audience, then that's okay. So what we really find is that kind of that technical skill just needs to be sufficient for who you're trying to reach.
1: So I think there's something that you can help us with. We're actually doing some investigation on our side of a specific question. And the question is, is there a knowledge personnel or talent shortage in cybersecurity? What has been your perspective on that question that pops up over and over again?
0: not just for the advocacy role, but I found a lot of industry surveys and and some research as well that, again, is really pointing to the lack of these kind of soft skills or non-technical skills. If you think about it, as security people, we do things that impact other people, okay? Whether or not we're interacting with them on a regular basis We do things that impact other people, implementing procedures or writing guidance or administering systems that people use. And so I think some of these skills of just being able to just have some basic understanding of that human element could help security professionals in general, not just advocates. I also think that as security people, we. Almost always have an opportunity to advocate for security. We might have to go to our leadership and say, hey, we want to implement this new security process or we want to buy this new security technology. And you have to be able to communicate why, especially since security can sometimes get shortchanged in an organization. So all of these skills, these communication skills, teaming skills, and our personal skills, I think are Again, according to a lot of these organizations and, and CISOs and, and CIOs, they tend to be really lacking in the security community right now.
2: Julie, as I'm listening to you talk and, and I'm thinking about our listeners all around the world that have wanted to scale their impact in the community, whether it's in the cybersecurity or even outside of it. For us, it was by happenstance. We just happened to go down this content creator route, and we became cybersecurity advocates without even thinking about it. But for the people that want to be more intentional in being cybersecurity advocates, or even just advocates for cybersecurity practitioners, what are the ways that people can begin that journey today?
0: So, I mean, I think you can you can definitely start small you know start with the people that you work with your family members just you know kind of understand what some of their challenges are with security you know start listening to them about what their concerns are and then just start edu- just general education i think a lot of times people just don't know they don't understand the risks they they don't even know what they're supposed to do in the first place and i think to I mean, within the workplace, just becoming kind of a champion for security, that's another term that we come across a lot, as sec- a security champion. So you may not be in a role that is doing security on a daily basis, or you might not be working in the weeds anymore. But if you see people that are doing good security practices, just taking the time to just kind of praise them for that, taking the time to talk about security things with other people in the organization. So just kind of starting small within our own little spheres of influence and then growing from there can be really helpful.
2: Julie, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us and also for all the great work that you're doing for the industry and for the society writ large. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the incredible things that you have going on, what are the best ways that people can do that?
0: We have a good site for our Usable Cybersecurity team. It's csrc.nist.gov slash usable cybersecurity Um, We have all of our efforts on there, our publications. My Twitter handle is at jmhaney88. Those are definitely ways to get in touch with me.
1: Awesome. We'd highly recommend everyone to check it out. We'll be sure to drop those resources in the show notes for everyone to check out. Thanks again, Julie. We'll see everyone next time.
0: Thank you.
2: If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.